we're excited for 2023. It's gonna be a great day. We're starting this new series called In My Feelings, and they tell us that there are between eight and 27 core emotions. Core emotions, which is like when you think about it, you know, you start thinking of all the emotions, and that's a lot of feelings. Psychologists tell us that the human experience can experience over 34,000 different emotions, different types of things. And honestly, as a Denver Broncos football fan, I experienced probably most of them, you know? There is a lot like it's like elated and excited at the beginning of the season. There's anticipation. And then all of a sudden there's like distress. It's like, you know, worry. It's just flat out anger, right? Resentment. Like, why do I do this in my time? And then now there's like hopefulness. We fired our coach. Like, Auburn, you understand what I'm talking about. It's like, hey, we get rid of this guy. We'll just do another guy. So uh, there's all these different feelings that I've gone through personally just going through that, right? And, and honestly, if you were to talk to my wife, I can be a little emotional sometimes. I'm, I'm like, the, uh, like a roller coaster, right? Sometimes I'm like doing really good and then one thing can happen and I'm not feeling so hot anymore. And um, I kind of go through it all. You know, Jesus, as we read in the four gospels, they tell us that we can find 39 different emotions of Jesus just in the four gospels. You know, Jesus, he felt joy and anger and compassion and uh, loneliness and anxiety, just to name a few. So we've got to be able to control our feelings when we get in our feelings. And I think the problem with our society so many times is we tell ourselves to follow our heart. The problem is our hearts are gonna lead us astray. You know, our kids are growing up. Disney tells them, follow your heart, follow your heart. And there's like a cool song about it. You're like, oh my gosh, I just follow my heart. And we grow up and then what do we do? We tell each other, well, what does your heart say? Our heart is deceitful and it's gonna lead us to places that we don't need to be. So when we get in our feelings, what do we need to do? Uh, we're gonna be in the book of Luke because there's an amazing story that, of Jesus. But before we do that, I wanna give you a little bit of context of what just happened here. Jesus just finishes the Sermon on the Mount, okay? This is his most famous message he ever gave. I mean, Jesus brought it. He just gives this incredible message. And then from there, he's gonna travel south to a town called Nain, all right? A town called Nain. It's about 25 miles away, which doesn't seem like a long journey, but in their culture, when you're walking on foot, that's a long ways away. And we'll be in Luke chapter seven. It'll be on the screens for you as well, starting in verse 11. Uh, I'll just read the story uh, as we see it, and then we'll kind of walk back through it. It says, soon after, Jesus went into, with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and he touched it and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd and they praised God saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people today. Now, <clears throat> there's, we gotta kind of understand a little bit what's going on here. Um, their funerals would be very different than our funerals today. 
all right? I, I'm sure many of you have been to funerals and I'm not sure what they're like, but at these funerals in their culture, there would be um, the crying and wailing aspect. And it was almost like how distraught you were would depend on how much you were crying out, all right? So if you're like one of those, like I know on the side we like, you know, I'm not really crying, you know, I just cry later. No, this was one of those like you're gonna just weep and wail and just yell out loud. This is like the whole idea of like sitting down in ashes and just covering yourself. I mean, you're really distraught and you don't care who knows about it. You want people to understand. And funerals in their culture would happen very quick. You know, in our society, we have embalming fluids and things that we can like preserve a body. Um, in their culture, they didn't really have that. So if someone were to pass away, you had to have that funeral the same day or the next day. There was no waiting around. I think you can use your uh, imagination as to why that might be necessary, why you wouldn't wait. Now, when someone were to die, the Jewish thought was that the person's spirit would hover over the body, of, <laughs> would hover over their physical body for about three days before it was like, this person for real, for real, is dead, all right? Uh, there's still a possibility, maybe they're not really dead. Maybe they like, maybe it might be dead, uh, which is why when you read like the story of Lazarus, it's important where it says he's been dead for four days. There's this idea that after three days, it is not possible for a person to come back to life. There was kind of just this thought there. So now here you have, as we know in the story, there's a lady. We know a little bit of details about this lady. She's a widow, all right, we don't know much outside of that. We don't know how old her husband was when he passed away. We don't know how old she was when he passed away. And we do know that she has just one child, all right? Now, in their culture, Jewish culture, and you might think just Middle East in general, um, their society was all about having as many kids as possible, all right? Just fill up, have a quiverful, as you might see in the Old Testament. You just wanna have all of these kids. And hey, there's a reason why my wife and I stopped after three. I got our girl and I'm like, scissors, let's go. Like, um, that's enough for me personally, all right? So um, guys, you're gonna, you're gonna be with me or not? All right, don't, don't leave me hanging up here. All right, so this family, for whatever reason, could only have one child. Whether that meant like the husband died and they just had the one or whatever, but this son, not only was it a child, it was a son, and this son would become like the center of this family's joy. Everything about this family would center around this child. This child would bring much joy to this family. And you can imagine for a small family, and, and we have a lot of people in our church like that who struggle with infertility or trying to have kids, and you have just that one child, right? And so here they have this one child, and this is just the pride and joy of their family. But then what happens is this lady loses her husband. So what do you think now this child means to this woman? This child is now everything to this lady. This is now literally all that she has left is just this little boy. And we don't understand or we don't really know the age of the child. It doesn't say in scripture if he was a toddler. We don't know if he was, you know, uh, middle school age, high school, or if he was a young adult. We just know that she lost her only son and the death of this son made this widow's life not just horrible, it made her life helpless. 
And we'll talk about that in a second. But I want to focus on something that happens here in verse 13. Because it says at the beginning, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Like, so Jesus saw her. And we read that like it's just in English, like, hey, Jesus saw her. But there's something more implied here in the word. Like when you study like the scripture, when you study like the New Testament, when you study like the original languages and you're reading the word and Jesus saw her. No, this is like implying Jesus like notices her. And when you read the gospels, you find that Jesus notices people about 40 different times. Like Jesus notices this person, right? So it's kind of like the only way I know how to equate this and maybe you might understand is like the first time you noticed your spouse. Typically it happens with guys first before like the lady like notices you back. You know what I mean? Like you gotta be like really noticing before she might kind of notice. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I know it was like that uh, for Aaron and myself when I first uh, moved to Mobile and I was brand new in ministry, brand new out of Bible college, 22 years old. She was already uh, in college. I like to point that out because I was a youth pastor. She was already in college, all right? So there's some guys that are like, that's why people get in trouble and stuff. So um, she was already in college. And I remember seeing her and, you know, it was like, I didn't, I, like I saw her, but I didn't notice her because she was off limits because she went to the church I worked at. Like, if that didn't work out, that, would, that could be bad. You know what I mean? Like, that would be weird and awkward. But then after time and, like, getting to know her and just being friends with her, like, I started noticing her. She was not noticing me. It took a long time for her to get to notice me, right? But, um, but she did, and obviously we got married. But that's what I'm saying. It's that time where it's like you see someone, but then you notice them. You pay attention to them. It's a little bit different when you notice someone else. Women are great at noticing things. Like, ladies, I don't mean to be mean, mean or rude, but, like, you get, like, half an inch trimmed off your hair. I don't know. But women, when they see, like, oh, my gosh, your hair, and they start talking about their hair and stuff, I'm like, I don't even know. Like, uh, your hair, like, when my wife gets her hair done, I always compliment her, even if I don't even know what happened. I'm like, I don't even, like, what do we pay for? Like, why did we pay this much? I don't even know what they did. I always tell her, your hair looks amazing. Like, it looks so good, right? Um, it's just one of those things. You just got to notice it, right? Women are great at noticing certain things. And Jesus notices this woman because he's fully God and fully man, he notices that, hey, not only is this just a lady, he knows she's a widow. He knows that. And he knows that she just lost her only son. And it says right there that Jesus' heart was filled with compassion. As a matter of fact, it says it overflowed with compassion. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. That emotion that Jesus felt for that woman in this moment of great loss, Jesus feels that same emotion for you when you're hurting. I think that is powerful. We have to hear that. That when we're hurting, Jesus' heart fills with compassion towards us and he hurts because we hurt. And there's a significant weight attached to this word. That word compassion, like when you go back to like the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, is like the strongest word they could use to explain the word compassion. It's a compassion that like stems 
from the bowels, like the insides of who you are, from like the depths of your soul. Like sometimes we'll talk like that, like, like from the depths of who I am, like everything that I have, like that type of compassion is what Jesus is feeling towards this woman. And when you're hurting, Jesus feels that type of compassion for you. And here we are, 2023, and I don't know how this year has started off for you. I don't know how the year ended for you last year, but a lot of us, we bring pain and hurt. And as we carry hurt, sometimes we wonder if God sees us, but not only does he see us, his heart is overflowing with compassion towards us. And it's one thing to feel compassion towards someone. It's something else to do something about it. So the Lord sees you in your pain and he's gonna do something because he cares about you. He notices you. And so as we continue on, it says, the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion and listen to what he says. Don't cry, he said. And then he walked over to the coffin and he touched it. All right. So Jesus sees this woman, she's walking, them. they're distraught. I mean, you can imagine the scene here. It's pretty horrendous. And the lady's friends being there and the neighbors gathering around. I mean, you can imagine, like, this is, this is a, a horrible point in this woman's life. And, and Jesus just looks at her. He's overflowing with compassion. This woman says, hey, don't cry. <laughs> like, how are you going to tell someone that in their, their lowest moment of pain? You know what I mean? Like, hey, don't cry. You know, I say that to my kids when they get hurt. I'm like, don't cry. Like, you, should, I, th- you deserve that because I told you not to do it. And so I'm glad it happened to you, right? Jesus is like, don't cry. Don't cry. And it says he walks over and he touches the coffin. Now, their coffins are a little bit different than the coffins we would have today. Uh, most likely this coffin would have been a flat board. It would have had handles on it so people could carry it. But it would be open casket, all right? There's no, like, closed casket. So depending on how you died, I mean, that, that's just how it was. Now, some of these coffins may have wheels, just depending to kind of help, but outside of that, it would be exposed. In their culture, um, Jesus was not just looked at, at that point, he was kind of looked at as like a prophet, like there's something special about this guy. People didn't understand that he was the son of God. Even his own disciples did not understand that he was the son of God. So in that culture, for any person to touch something that was dead would make them ceremonially unclean for seven days. Like you couldn't be around people, you couldn't touch anything. If you touch something dead, as a matter of fact, everyone else would stay away from you because they don't wanna be unclean. And you would have a whole, like, there's a whole ritual to be clean, to be ceremonially clean or pured all over again. But Jesus doesn't even think. He says, don't cry. He walks over and he touches the coffin. So when we read that, you have to understand how people are looking at this going, oh my gosh. Like his followers, the disciples, the large crowd that had followed him were like gasping. Like, I, I can't believe, I can't believe he just touched that. I can't believe he just did that. And people were like, I'm not really with him. I was just in town visiting my in-laws. Like, you know, like no one wants to be associated with Jesus in this moment. So this is a big deal for all of his followers. But what I think is amazing about Jesus is that he's willing to cross lines. He's willing to break rules when he needs to. And Jesus was great at breaking rules that people, men, put in place. We would call that religion. 
Religion is following a set of do's and don'ts. You can do this, you can't do that. And if you live by these rules, then God will think you're okay or you can get into heaven one day. I think it's a matter of fact, a lot of these rules that have caused a lot of people to stop going to church. I grew up going to church where we had lots of rules. You can't wear jeans, you gotta wear a suit. And here I am as a pastor doing none of those things, right? Because who made that rule? People did. Music, who made those rules? People did. Who made the stipulations that so many of us deal with in the South? People did. So many times we take rules or things the Bible doesn't even implicitly uh, explain or we take stuff in the Old Testament that doesn't even apply to Gentile people at all. That's like, that's a whole different conversation for another day and we want it to apply to you today. Rules. And we make these rules and if you live by these rules, you'll be okay. But if you don't follow these rules, hey, you're not okay. We would use the word legalism. And legalism is about keeping rules and you have lines to keep people out. I remember being in churches where like the signs say, all are welcome, but if you dress like me walking into one of those churches, you definitely don't feel welcome. You ever been in a church like that? <laughs> you know, I got like family and, and, and um, a lot of my family, like they serve the Lord and man, it's amazing to have people in your family that, you know, follow after God. But, but in some of those churches that I've been to, I, I have felt as a fellow follower of Jesus, I felt like I wasn't in. I felt like I wasn't accepted, you know what I mean? Like when you can walk into a church and no one even looks at you, man, I think we've missed the mark. And I pray, and the difference I pray that you maybe find here at Cornerstone is that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you have a place here. And I believe that as we follow Jesus, we'll find that as he teaches us the things that he needs to straighten out in our life, man, God will do it. My job is not to change you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is just to tell you what Jesus says about it. And as we follow him, I don't have to worry about whether or not you're doing the right things or not. Because... God, as we seek him, is gonna work in your life and he'll show you, hey, this is wrong, this is right. And as a matter of fact, there are some things that are wrong for some people and some things are right. Again, hey, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. What I'm saying is Jesus erased the lines. Why? So people could experience his love. And he walks over to that coffin and he touches it and everyone, <gasps> they gasped. This is like a prophet, like this guy. And, why would he touch that? We can't even be around Jesus. We were gonna follow him on this journey, God, but then you had to go and touch the dead person, right? We're out. And he does this thing that changes everything. And so I kind of like to say it like this. We don't draw lines to keep people out. We don't draw lines to keep people out. We cross lines to bring people in. We cross lines to draw people in. I mean, that's just what I feel like our mission here at Cornerstone is. I mean, in Etowah County, where we have one church for every 300 people, how sad is that? Seven out of 10 don't go to church anywhere. In Etowah County, 100,000 people. And that's saying, graciously, that 30,000 people in Etowah County go to church. And I can tell you that's not true. So I'm just saying, here we are in an area 
where there are so many churches, I just, this is just a personal opinion, outsider coming in, I've been here for 12 years now. I think a lot of rules have kept people from experiencing the true power and love of God. And so what we need to do is we cross lines so that people can come in, so they can experience God's love. Jesus touches the coffin. Maybe he touches the boy. We, we don't know. And then you know what he says? He says, get up. <laughs> if you're a lady and you know your son is dead and you have a whole funeral, you don't throw a funeral for your son if you don't think he's dead, Right? Like, that would be weird, like, oh, my gosh, no, he was just unconscious. Sorry, guys, this is kind of awkward. He's awake, right? I just, he got hit in the head. and You throw a funeral because you know the person's dead. Jesus walks over, touches the cough, touches the boy, get up. Can, if you're there, come on. I mean, this is like, what's this guy doing? <laughs> I get up. I mean, like, dude's dead, right? And it says the boy sits up. That would be freaky. Honestly, that would be freaky. Like if we go to a funeral and like I'm like doing a funeral, I'm like, I walk over to the castle, I'm like, hey, wake up, right? And the, and the person pops up. I, all right, like that, honestly, that would be freaky, right? That would be crazy. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I got that touch, right? Like I got the, the person came back to life. This is the first time that we see Jesus raise someone back to life. And if you're, for, for a moment, like if you're the kid that's dead, like you're literally in like paradise, like you're with God. And then like, they're like, no, you gotta go back. <laughs> you're gonna die again just later on in life, but you gotta go back. Anyways, that's, that's just how my brain works. This kid wakes up, he looks around, everyone is freaking out, everyone is so excited. And in that one moment, Jesus changed everything for who? The widow. I wanna talk about her for a moment. Yes, this boy came back to life, but there's something very important in that moment about this widow. You see, this woman had nothing. In their culture, it's very different than like our society today. Women could not just go out and make a living. They couldn't have careers. They couldn't go out and do things. They couldn't grow up and say, one day I'm gonna grow up and be whatever it is. It's like, no, one day you're gonna grow up and you will be a mom. <laughs> That's kind of like your only option. And because she was a woman, the only way she could have support was from her husband. He would go out and work and that's what would happen. She would take care of the kids. Well, guess what? Her husband is now dead. She just has, thankfully, a son and this son would then be able to provide for her mom. And guess what? She just lost him too. So this lady's down to two options in this culture. The first option is this, to become a beggar where she would literally beg every single day can you give me something to eat? Can you give me a little bit of money so I can buy some bread? I'd like to buy some flour. Or she'd have to constantly rely on people. And then, you know, when you're around super needy people, after a while, you just start to ignore their request. That was option number one. Option number two, she would have to become a prostitute just so she could have some money so she could eat. But in this moment, in this culture, Jesus goes and he touches her son and she not only got her child back, she also gained hope because now her son would be able to work and then provide not only for himself, but also for his mother. All of that happened with just one touch. And I wanna kinda leave you with this thought. With one touch, Jesus can bring whatever is dead back to life. With just one touch, Jesus can bring whatever is dead back to life. Jesus can revive it. Think about this for a second. Like, 
why is it that we do what we do? And I'm talking about like here at Cornerstone, like why is it that like we show up, it's rainy and it's like, hey, we're still gonna like be in a place where we're around other believers. Why do we come and do this? Because I believe as the pastor, I believe that like that one song that we might sing on a particular Sunday might just speak to someone sitting out here, someone that's watching online. It might just speak to them in a way that like, hey, I needed that word, I needed that thing, and it changes everything about them. (laughs) There might be like that person that walks in that has an interaction with someone that they didn't expect to have, and it it changes everything for them in that moment. (laughs) You might be sitting down and you hear like, the message and you hear something that I say or another pastor here says, and it's like in your heart in that moment, you're like, I needed to hear. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, hey, uh, I'll get a message later this week. (coughs) It'll happen, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon sometimes and I'll get a message from someone and they'll say, hey, uh, how do you know what's going on in my life? I was like, uh, I don't. I felt like you were talking to me. That's, that's not me. We would say that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you about whatever we're talking about today. I believe that that one moment, that one touch from Jesus can resurrect dead things. So maybe you're here and you're wondering uh, as you carry a lot of hurt, does God see you? Not only does, does he see you, he's, his heart is filled with compassion towards you and, and he wants you to know that whatever is dead in your life, he can bring it back to life with just one touch. He wants to cross lines so you can experience his love. So if you're in a marriage this morning that you feel like is dying and you feel like, hey, there's just no hope for us and this might be the year that we separate, I want you to know that with one touch of Jesus, he can bring your marriage back to life. Maybe there's this area in your life and it comes to finances and you're just like, I just don't know how we're gonna be able to pay this thing and I just don't see how we're gonna get out of this hole that we're in and we might just lose everything we have with just one touch. Jesus can turn things around for you. You have that child that you've been praying for and you're just like saying, God, why is it that I'm struggling? Why is it they don't see truth? This child has gone astray and they're just making their own choices with just one touch. God can bring your kid back home. So what is that thing in your life that feels dead? What is that area in your heart where you're just like, God, I just feel like this part here is just, it's just dead. I feel like I don't have faith. God, I feel like I haven't connected with you. God, what what is that area? Because with just one touch, Jesus can bring it back to life. And if you're far from God, if you feel like you're unworthy of his love, I want you to understand that he will cross lines to come get you and you can experience the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus today. And there's another way to call it, but reckless love. So if you're feeling hurt, if you're feeling like a part of you is just dead, today, with just one moment, you can experience life again. Hey, let's pray together.